0: Well, today we are in the book, like I said before, of 1 Thessalonians, or 2 Thessalonians, excuse me, and our passage comes from 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. I'm going to read that for us this morning. Let's begin in verse 1. Verse 1 says, Paul and Silvanus and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians and God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting, because your faith is greatly enlarged and the love of each one of you toward one another grows ever greater. Therefore, we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. Let me pray for us this morning. Our Father, we pray for uh, the preaching of your word, Lord, that your truth would be spoken, and that it might penetrate our hearts and change our lives. And God, we love you and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, a professor of mine... From DTS, his name is Dr. Curavilla, once retold his favorite Max Lucado story. I merc- make, look that up and make sure I said that right. Lucado, not Lucado. And he uh, once retold his favorite story about Chippy the parakeet. And it goes like this maybe you've he- you've heard it before. Chippy the parakeet never saw it coming. One second the bird was peacefully perched in his cage, singing. The next moment its life changed forever. Its problem began when its owner decided to clean its cage with a vacuum. She stuck the nozzle in to suck up the seeds and feathers from the bottom of the cage. Then the phone rang, and instinctively, she turned to pick it up. She had barely said hello when Chippy got sucked in. The woman gasped, let the phone drop, and snapped off the vacuum. With her heart in her mouth, she unzipped the bag. There was Chippy, alive, but stunned, covered with heavy black dust. She grabbed the bird and rushed to the bathtub, turned on the faucet full blast, and held Chippy under a torrent of ice-cold water, power-washing him clean. Then the good lady did what any compassionate pet owner would do, she snatched up the hairdryer and blasted the wet, miserable, shivering little bird with hot air. A few days later, when the owner was asked how Chippy was doing, she said, Chippy doesn't sing much anymore. He just sits and stares. When we suffer through no fault of our own, I imagine most of us respond like Chippy, losing our song and becoming apathetic. When life seems to be attacking you from all angles, how do you respond? In our passage today, we'll take a look at the Thessalonians, a church that was being attacked from within and without for their faith. And so let's take a look at how they responded. Now, first, I want to take a look at the history behind this church so far. This is Paul's second letter to the Thessalonians. And so we have to ask the question why would Paul need to write a second letter? To this church. Now we know this is a new church filled with young Christians. Now, when I talk about young Christians, I'm not talking about young in age, I'm talking about young in conversion. It had only been maybe a year earlier since Paul had visited them. Um, we see the beginnings of this church in Acts chapter 17. Paul is in his second missionary journey, so around 49 to 50 AD, and he travels north along the Aegean Sea. And uh, he eventually hits this large Greek harbor city on the northwestern coast of the Aegean Sea. I guess up here is where I should put my hand. And Paul does what he always does when he goes to the city. He preaches the gospel in the synagogues to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. People believe the gospel and the church begins. But after at least a month, Paul and Silas, here he's called Silvanus, They're kicked out of the town by the Jews and the city authorities. And they're not allowed to come back. They leave behind a young church in a hostile city. So in the first letter, Paul's concern for his spiritual children is palpable. He sends Timothy to aid the church as soon as he is able, because Paul and Silas, are not allowed to return to them. Timothy returns with wonderful news about the Christians in Thessalonica. Their faith is flourishing. Their love for one another produces fruit. And their hope in the return of their Lord is unwavering. Even during suffering and persecution, they are growing. And they have suffered. Many have already died, as we learned in the first letter. As young Christians, they are concerned for their loved ones who have fallen asleep. Will they miss the return of the Lord? What does this mean for their future, for their hope? Paul uses his first letter to give them this continued hope in the Lord's return, to commend them for their faithfulness, to reassure them that Paul and Silas only had the purest of motives when when they came and brought the gospel to them. They admonish the idol, and they teach the Christians there how to live lives as followers of Christ. Okay, so that's his first letter. Now, it's just several months later. It's not much longer. Um, Paul writes the second letter to the church probably from corinth he somehow received more news about them okay and the the news he gets is that persecutions have continued and they have intensified there are wolves in sheep's clothing these false teachers spreading lies about the return of christ and there are some who still remain idle and refuse to work even after paul had admonished him in his first letter how will paul shepherd this flock from a distance how will he comfort these people who only have been Christians for a short while, and yet were are experiencing conflict from the outside and from the inside of their Christian community? So that is the reason that Paul writes to this church once again, not to ch- just to deal with the negatives, but to spur them on to greater faith, hope, and love. So Paul begins this letter in the same manner in which he began the first letter. We'll see in verses 1 and 2. Let's read that together. Paul and Silvanus and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians and God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, now Paul is the primary author of this letter, and he includes Silas and Timothy here because of their roles as leaders of this church. Okay, we already saw Silvanus Silas, that's just two different names for the same person. Um. Paul and Silas were the ones who originally evangelized to the people and ministered to them. In the book of Acts, we see that. And then Timothy is the one that is sent because Paul and Silas can't return to the city. So Timothy is the one who goes, who continues his pastoral role, who ministers to them, who teaches them, but also is a messenger from them to Paul and Silas. All right, so if there was a problem that needed to be addressed, it was the voice of these men that needed to be heard. Their authoritative voice as those who cared for and led this flock. All right, now the introduction to the letter is written like any other ancient letter. There's an author of the letter, and then there's this, the persons to whom they're writing, and then a thanksgiving or a wish for the person's welfare. If it was written to a certain assembly in ancient times, it would be identified, the, the assembly would be identified by a region or a city. And Paul does that here to the assembly, to the church of the Thessalonians. But Paul adds something on here to make it even more specific to the assembly of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a church that has believed the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is a church that has accepted him as the promised anointed one and Lord of all. This is the source of life for the church, God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the source of security and hope for the church, God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a church rooted in the gospel of God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This phrase is distinctly a Christian coupling. If the church is under any sorts of doubts about their faith because of their persecution, Paul makes their identity clear in the very first words of the letter. This is not just any assembly in Thessalonica but an assembly deriving its life from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It would be the words it would be words of encouragement to a young and suffering church. And Paul ends this greeting with a reminder of the grace and peace of God upon them both. This grace and peace that is already upon them. As those who are rooted in the life given by God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, they are the recipients of God's unmerited favor, granted upon all who accept the atoning sacrifice of Jesus' death on the cross by faith. They also know the peace of God, that through Jesus Christ they were once far off, but have been brought near. There is no more enmity between them and God because of the atoning work of Christ on the cross. They know peace. They have the two greatest gifts anyone can have, the grace of God the Father and the peace brought through Jesus Christ. And now Paul gives thanks for the Thessalonians in verse 3. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting, because your faith is greatly enlarged and the love of each one of you toward one another grows ever greater. Now, again, this is a similar way that he began the first letter, except there... um, he says, we always give thanks. And here he adds in this additional interesting word, ought. It's its own Greek word, a And it means to be indebted to a certain moral obligation. It has the sense of the word to owe. There's a shouldness to this word. Because of the love and faith shown by the Christians in Thessalonica, it is only right for Paul and Silas and Timothy to give thanks to God them for his work in their lives it's the gratefulness of a pastor for his faithful church remember this is a church that paul had to leave prematurely because he was kicked out of the city a church that paul had just started a people who had just recently believed the gospel paul had shared with them paul was aware of the brevity of his stay with them, and he was aware of the persecution they would endure, and he could do nothing about it. He couldn't even be present for them. Could you imagine Paul's concern? Would they buckle under the pressure and abandon their faith? But we see by God's grace, they have not, and by his miraculous faithfulness, they have actually grown. So thankfulness is the only appropriate response. Notice also Paul calls them brothers, okay? And brothers, we've seen this before. Is this this word adelphos. It refers to a man or a woman who come from the same source. So a brother or a sister that come from the same womb. It should be translated probably, I think, best brothers and sisters, all right? Because obviously this is not just written to the men in the congregation or the men in the assembly. It's written to the men, the women, and the children to everyone. And do you notice that... uh, Paul tends to use this family language very often when he writes in his letters. When he's talking to his fellow Christian, he always uses this kind of family language. And it's close family. It's not distance family. It's not, it's not like great uncles and second cousins or anything like that. It's, it's brothers and sisters. You see this in, so often in Paul's epistles. First Timothy 5, he tells Timothy, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers. Older women as mothers, younger women as sisters. In Titus, he calls Titus his true child. In 1 and 2 Timothy, he calls Timothy his true and beloved child. In 1 Corinthians 4, he says, For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. In Galatians, he calls the Christians my little children. Even earlier in 1 Thessalonians, he says of them, to them, but we proved to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tends, uh, tenderly cares for her own children. And later, a few verses down, he says, Just as you know, how we were exhorting and encouraging and employing, imploring each one of you as a father would his own children. For Paul, his fellow Christians were brothers, sisters, children. And he and Silas were fathers and even mothers to them. As a single man, Paul was not without a family. He sees very much his fellow Christians as his family. Sam Alberry makes this observation in his book, Seven Myths About Singleness, and he says this. He says, there is not meant to be anything nominal about this way of speaking. It is common to use this language of family in church circles, calling one another brothers and sisters, without really thinking about it. But it is not meant to be honorary, nor is it just a bit of good PR to make our churches sound friendly. It is real and meant to be lived out as such. And that is how Paul treats the Christians in Thessalonica. The church there was his family, and he cared for them as such, as we'll see in this passage, as we saw in 1 Thessalonians. Paul thanks God for his brothers and sisters, because in this time of persecution, their faith has become greatly enlarged. Okay, now, For me, that's a little bit of an awkward translation. That's the New American Standard, New American Standard. It's a great translation. It's very word for word, very wooden, so sometimes it's a little more awkward. I think the Net Bible is a little more helpful here. He says your faith flourishes more and more. I think that's a little bit smoother. Um, Paul is thankful for the growth in their faith, okay? Now, we tend to think of faith as this one-time event We had faith in the gospel, and now we're saved. And while that's true, it's not entirely how Paul depicts faith. Faith is something that can grow, that can flourish. It doesn't stay stagnant. Some have compared this growth to the growth of a tree, this internal growth of faith. And Paul is also thankful and amazed by their love that continues to grow even more. All right? And we see this in 1 Thessalonians. Uh, Paul boasted about the Thessalonians' love for all the brothers and sisters in Christ. And he says this. Um, I'm going to read it to you. I don't have it in the PowerPoint. It says, Now as to the love of the brothers, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. For indeed, you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to excel still more. So apparently these Christians have taken this to heart. For the love for one another continues to grow. And the language that Paul uses here tells us that it's simply amazing how much these people love one another. It's It's like comparing it to a flood. The love for one another covers the entire land. It's incredible. And like faith love is something that can grow. I think Paul's a good exhortation that Paul gives us is from Philippians 2. You guys know this passage it says do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves which also was in Christ Jesus. Okay? When we talk about their love for one another, their self-sacrifice. They're willing to think of others more than themselves. So the Thessalonians are an example for us. Then we go on to verse 4. Therefore, we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. Now, the Paul, the Thessalonians are an example of the growth in faith and love that he desires to see from his entire flock. When they endure afflictions and persecutions, they sought to rely on God more, not less. They didn't become apathetic. And it's through this dependence on God that they were able to endure these difficult times. And so they speak proudly of this church because they are enduring through the persecutions and afflictions um, within and without their community. And we see this in First Thessalonians, that apparently Paul said that we don't even need to uh, preach the gospel in Macedonia because all, everyone everywhere is hearing of your love for one another. Um, the perseverance in and faith and love despite persecutions. And that's our passage for today. So in conclusion, I have one point I want to expound upon. And uh, and it says, As those who have been given life by God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, Christians of Jacksonville, Florida, we ought to pursue growing in faith and in love towards one another, especially during difficult times. I find uh, John Stott's commentary on this passage in particular very helpful. I want to read it for you. He says this, This idea of spiritual growth is foreign to many people, not least in the areas of faith and love. We tend to speak of faith in static terms as something we either have or have not. I wish I had your faith, we say, like I wish I had your complexion, as if it were a genetic endowment. Or we complain, I've lost my faith, like I've lost my spectacles, as if it were a commodity. But faith is a relationship of trust in God, and like all relationships, is a living, dynamic growing thing. There are degrees of faith, as Jesus implied when he said, you have little faith, and I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. It is similar with love. We assume rather helplessly that we either love somebody or we do not, and that we can do nothing about it. But love also, like faith, is a living relationship whose growth we can take steps to nurture. So what can we do to help our faith and love grow. I'll give you two examples. First, how do we help our faith grow? I think the answer to that for us is to yield to God's word even when it is difficult. Obeying his word even when it does not directly benefit us, even when no one else can see. For example, let's say you have a boss that is a womanizer. And he is married. He wants you to go out with him after work days to bars and to be his wingman. But you won't do it because it violates the bonds of marriage. So someone else gets the promotion. Someone else gets the perks of being favored by the boss. So those are the types of times when you're yielding to God's word and trusting that he'll provide for you. Okay, So to increase our faith, we are yielding to his word and depending on him, when it's difficult second how do we grow in love I think specifically during this pandemic and this is a tough one for us now because we're so separated from one another Um, I can think of two things the first one we're already doing and that's we're taking part in these practices that can protect the vulnerable from disease we're practicing Philippians chapter 2 even though Wearing masks and practicing social distancing can be terrible. We do it to love and to protect others. I think of 1 Corinthians nine nineteen. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all, so that I may win more for the gospel. We're giving up our freedoms for the sake of others. second thing that we can do during this time of pandemic is that it's so easy to be separated from one another so easy to be forgotten. We can try to keep in touch with one another, I think. We are a church family, brothers, sisters, mothers, and fathers, and children in Christ, okay? And so many of us have a biological family connection here, and that's wonderful and good. But we're a spiritual church family. We are connected through the gospel. And so if there's someone that God has placed in your heart to check up on, see how they're doing, send them a text. Send them an email. Give them a call. Let them know that their church has not forgotten them. Or maybe if you're checking up too much, you know, give them a break. That's who. Make an effort to keep in touch with one another. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that we can rely and depend upon you to care for us even when times are hard. Even now, even uh, now, Lord, when it has been revealed to us just how little control we have over our futures, Lord, it was it was true before, but it's just we're made much more aware of it now, and anxiety can creep in. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to depend and rely and to trust in you during these difficult and strange times. And that in doing that, Lord, our faith would grow more with you, more dependent upon you, that we would be transformed to become more like Christ as you help our faith to grow, that we would be more willing to obey your word as you help our faith to grow that we would be more willing to love one another and to be intentional and creative in the ways we can reach out to one another because we depend upon you. And Lord, you are faithful and good to care for us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for guiding us during these strange and difficult times. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Okay. Um, there are, there's one thing I want to announce for us and for everyone online as well. Next week we will be doing communion. Okay. And so we have, we purchased these little pre cups and wafers and we'll be having those available next week, um, for everyone to do communion and we'll have them, uh, we'll have them available in some, somehow or some capacity throughout this next week. If you want to come by the church and you want to, uh, pick one up for you or your family, you can do that. Or you can just prepare the bread and cup yourself and get ready to take part in communion next week. So that's what we're doing next week. We'll be taking communion here in person and hopefully online and home with us as well. Um, I want to, let, let me close us, close our online service um, in prayer and we'll sing a song together and we'll close that part of the service. Father, we thank you for the time you have given to us together this morning to worship you and to hear from your word. We ask that through your spirit it would continue to penetrate our hearts throughout this week so that we would be encouraged when we are disheartened, repentant when we sin, and so that we would actively be living out your word in our lives. Lord, protect us this week. Bless this congregation as they work and live their lives and protect us from the evil one. We love you and we praise you. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen.